Hello and welcome back to the Otter Culture Podcast. Quick disclaimer before we start this episode, Ben Lawton is live mixing this episode, so if anything crazy happens out of the ordinary, that's on Ben. He is at the helm. He's at the helm. It Today. Doesn't, it doesn't happen very often. As, isn't, no. it the, isn't it the first time that he's ever done that? <laughs> it is the first time. He's just like on the TV, Ben the legend. He's probably, has he cut to that angle though? Probably. He did. <laughs> wow. <laughs> nice. How does it feel so far, Ben? Great. Nice. Perfect. Um, so yeah, today we are talking as a three of us. We had last week we had Miles in, in the room with, with Miles and I, uh, as a designer point of view, but now we've got you in the room, Joss. Yes. Three creatives, three film creatives, all in one space at one time. Three film boys. Some would argue too many. Yes. Mm. Three's a crowd. Too many in one place. Too many film boys in one place, never a good thing. Exactly that. Do you know what topics we might be covering here, Joss? Maybe. I've thrown you under the bus. You've thrown me right under the bus there, mate. It's better that you tell us, Dan. <laughs> okay. Um, so I thought today we could always talk about, uh, you know, a little bit about the journey into creativeness for us all, uh, the inspiration when growing up. I think for, for a lot of people, it was the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel? Yeah. The. Wow, internet. <laughs> yeah, that, that channel. Bloody hell. YouTube's um, actual channel. And also then talk about our kind of the way in which we work on jobs. Mm. on job and uh, finally then to talk about or not finally uh the world of freelancing as well mm. um i think it's quite a broad area big world uh, yeah within uh, within the, the world of film so um there's a lot yeah. for us to discuss let's um let's dive into it first of all we'll go over max tell us max uh, uh, briefly because i think we've heard it before but for those that i do waffle heard a lot much, <laughs> i'll cut you off if you waffle too much good okay your journey into the creative world uh Many moons ago, started yes. off as a, as a young boy. Uh, wasn't very good at numbers, wasn't very good at other things. So I started doing photography, Started picked up my family friend's camera and just got shooting. Uh, fast forward, did it uh, all through school, through college, all that. Um, started shooting for my mates, started shooting for my mates' mates, started shooting for my mates' mates' businesses, started shooting, sending that work to other businesses and just a massive snowball effect over five six years like it did it wasn't like oh yeah i just sent a few photos out to a business and then all of a sudden i'm a freelancer mm-hmm. it was like years um and then went to uni whilst freelancing and then worked in a job doing uh video and photo content creation um then started my own company and now i work here nice so you've you've dabbled in a little bit of freelance here and there i'd say yeah i was like before I left university, I was I was a freelancer, like 100%. And how about yourself, Joss? Uh, in many ways, similar to Max, I wasn't too academic in school, not good at numbers, not really good at many things. Uh, wow. But I, for me, it started, I got a camera when I was eight, I think for my birthday, and then I took it on holiday. We went to Greece, just like taking loads of pictures, really like fell in love with it then. Um, and then tried doing loads of like stop animation thing with like little Lego men for a few years. I don't know how long it was, but really enjoyed that for a while. And then I picked it up again in A-levels, actually. I was going to do it at GCSE Media, but um, yeah, I didn't do it again until A-level Media. And then it kind of snowballed from there. You always know the story of I got a job out of sixth form because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then I got in contact with you and Ben. Um, and yeah. On the flip side to you, I never really went freelance. I have done only a handful of jobs in my own spare time, really. It's all been through Otter and working with you boys. And yeah, Dan has taught me most of the things I know. Wow. 
Wow. Look at that. What a claim. Claim to fame. You have, though. And, like, yeah, most of the work I've done has been through Otter. Very nice. Nice. Uh, thanks for asking. My journey's been in... What was your uh, journey? <laughs> Dan, what's your journey? <laughs> in a brief way, uh, kind of got a camera when I was a bit... Uh, a bit younger, went travelling. You went travel. I didn't go to Australia, unfortunately. Yep, uh, yeah. um, uh, <laughs> took loads of photos when I went travelling uh, with a bridge camera, Fuji bridge camera. Um, Big up Fuji, come on! Got my first DSLR. Went out taking long, long exposure photos of oh, people because yes. that's what was cool back then. Still cool now. Was that peak Instagram? Not like I'm well, mm. like well old or something. Um, and uh, yeah, started doing like a little bit of freelancing actually. Uh, just for fun it was it was always really hard for me to actually know my worth and like to actually put a price mm. on what i was doing um that's something i think i always struggled with and i mm. think that's now why otter is what it is because you know i was creating the product but never really could put a price whereas ben was the business mind and can actually say this is worth this yeah. actually let's charge it so yeah. yeah that's how otter kind of formed but yeah I, yeah i think for me like i'd never even that had never even been a thought of like charging to do work because yeah. i'd always just done it as a hobby and like there was a couple of us in our group of friends who were like interested in photography but weren't like super technical or knew everything or you know when you're 15 16 there are a bunch of us that were yeah interested but i wouldn't have ever dreamed of offering it out to friends yeah. or anything so like i respect both of you for even like going for that because that's such a big step to take to actually do that first job yeah i must have been like i would i know i would have been shitting myself it takes such a long time and there were yeah. so many like i'm sure you can speak on this as well but i know for me there were so many um keep talking there were so many uh you know those those first like client jobs where you know you turn up ill prepared or you know your expectation is different to the client's expectation um and because you're so new to it you don't really know how to adapt you don't know mm -hmm. how to how to change to fit the situation so you end up producing like absolute shit but it's just like navigating that whole space when you haven't really done it before is really difficult, which is why I think it takes so long to really get your feet as a freelancer. And I feel like when people go into the freelance space, they think, oh, you know, I'm pretty good at taking photos or I'm pretty good at the video. Or I'm pretty good at whatever service I'm doing. I'm at a point where I think I can sell this now. Mm. And, you know, they, they, they try and rush into it a bit too quickly. Yeah. When it actually takes a good few months, a good few years of that snowball effect to really get to a point where you can sustain it. Because otherwise, it will just sort of be drips and drabs, a few shit projects here and a few good projects there, and it won't be like a long-term thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was like kind of starting out and I had my camera, didn't have it for very long. Uh, people ask me, "Oh, can you come take family photos and shit like that?" You mm -hmm. kind of do the classic family bit. But um, my first kind of job that wasn't family-related was a, a girl that Hannah knew, and she had basically paid for me to go down and do like an engagement photo shoot with this couple. And they were like 60 years old. I'm pretty sure they were swingers. And the guy later asked me <laughs> nice. if I could go and take like a nude calendar photo shoot for oh him my as well. God. I, got paid, God. I got paid 20 quid for it, which is pretty cool. That's cute. Your first not, gig. Not, oh my yeah, God. Yeah, 20 quid. Um, but I had to basically go down to some weird farm and they were an older couple. It felt like I was photographing my mum and dad. Kind of being a little bit intimate, like, you know, tongues in mouths and stuff like that. Oh uh, like God. really going at it oh. on a, in a farm. Um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Wait, did you do the nude one then? I didn't do any. Oh. There was no nudity on this shoot, but um, yeah, it was fucking mental. Like, I was kind of old. Sat were you there then? Jesus. Um, I was probably like seventeen, eighteen, maybe. Okay. Uh, it was it just like better. did not expect it, and I remember the night before being so nervous, like like mm. googling like how to pose a couple, how to yeah. do this. Like, I, but the thing is, I still kind of do that today. I'm still looking at like 
YouTube videos or going on to like other things. If I know mm. that like we have got, a, you know, we've got a shoot with Teal or like a, a lifestyle shoot and I'm like thinking there, oh, do I know if like poses? Do I know how to pose a couple? Do I know how to pose an individual? Mm. And it's so like a, I think that is always in the back of my mind. Like, do I actually know how to do my job? Mm. I think everyone gets that. It's imposter syndrome, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, 100%. I feel like with a lot of our jobs as well, we're not just, we don't just rock up with a camera and then just film. Sometimes we are like helping them deliver the product that they want like sometimes yeah. they're like okay we know we want this thing but you have to kind of find that thing to then help give them that oomph that they're looking for yeah so it is a there's so many it's a multifaceted job you're not just a cameraman yeah i definitely think you know as a as a creative i don't know if i don't know if as a creative we're more vulnerable to these kind of you know mindsets uh, mm. you know for people who are business maybe they're a bit more straight down the line in their decision making whereas i don't know for us my, my life's a little bit more i think like when you're because up until the point where you go freelance it's art to you isn't it like it's you know you're doing it because you're doing it because it's fun yeah that's the only reason why anyone will get into photography because they're interested in it and they enjoy it so turning it from something that you just do for a laugh or you just do to express yourself or just for just for fun into a business or into a point where you're charging other people for you to do it can be quite a scary thing and it's, yeah, it's hard to explain. It's just such a difficult space to navigate and that you can only really learn it by doing it, I feel like. You, like, you have to go through those shit, like, jobs. Yeah. I remember my first, like, one of the first jobs I did at university when I went down there because, obviously, I'd, I'd built up a relatively, I wouldn't say frequent um, uh, freelancing business back home, but when I went to university, I thought, right, I've, I've moved away from home. I need to get some clients down here. Mm. I need to really sort of spread my network or extend my network to people down here so that i've got a consistent number of jobs coming in i remember the first job i did in bournemouth it was for like the law society or something like that and i don't know if i've told this story before but i basically went down and my charger for my camera had broken and i went down with like 20 percent battery and i didn't realize so i like shot the first like 20 minutes of the thing of the event and then my camera died and i had like multiple people coming up to me be like oh can we take this photo can we take this photo can we take this photo i'm like Oh my Did god! I don't know what to do. I ran home. Like uh, there was like a twenty-minute break, half an hour break. Oh my god! And thank the Lord that my camera died in like alongside this break because yeah. I bolted home. It was like maybe a twenty-minute walk, and I got back so quick. Um, whacked my camera on charge, grabbed my um, I had like a shitty point and shoot like backup camera. I was like, right, worst comes to worst, I know my craft. So I know that I can take something on yeah. this. Mm. Even if it's horrific, I know that I can get a photo on this absolute worst case. Um, and luckily the camera battery charged to like 50% or something like that. And then I ran back down and finished the rest of the shoot. And they were really happy with the film. But I look back at it and I think, it's just so shit. Like so, so <laughs> bad. That is savage. Josh, do you have any stories? Not freelancing, but film stories or any moments that you've had? I think... For me, a lot of the projects that I've worked on that come to mind anyway have always been for like a purpose. Like during my A-levels, we had to do like a short film and I did like a music video and just looking back on like how worked up and like stressed I got myself over those because like for the music video, it's like, okay, have a band. So it's like, all right, I need to rope in five mates to pretend to be a band. And then, you know, I need to hire one of the drama studios at school and we have to pretend we're a live band but not make any noise because there's still classes going on so how do you pretend to be a live band but not make any noise and then i've got my canon like 
400D that I'd bought off MPB for 90 quid that only filmed at 23 frames per second. No, 20 frames per second. It doesn't even do 24. And just like trying to make something of that. Looking back on it, I think I did all right given the circumstances, but like those early stages are so stressful. And I look back on the short film as well and it's like I put together a script that I pretty much just carbon copied from someone I admired Mm. and I just lagged it through my a-levels yeah i was like yep yeah, i wrote this i directed this and it's like i pretty much just copied some guy's film but it's like it's kind of what you do imitate yeah. until you make it it's just problem solving oh i feel Literally. like all creative the transition between creative as a hobby and creative as a job is just being able to problem solve because like obviously you'll do you'll put all the hours in and you'll do all the freelance projects and all the sort of smaller stuff so that when you get onto a big set and you're faced with a light problem or you're faced with a camera problem or you're mm-hmm. faced with a, a, a model problem or, you know, something's not gone right, you you probably will still get a little bit flustered or you'll get a little bit stressed, but you'll have the tools from those past experiences to be able to go into it and know exactly what to do or know how to push it in the right direction again or how to get things back on track. Yeah. Yeah, that's all this industry is. Or our yeah, job, yeah, yeah. it's just constant problem solving, like... All day when we're just sat editing, it's problem solving. It's mm. like, all right, I know what I want. I can see it in my head. How do I do that with yeah. my knowledge and my skill? It's fun. It is fun. How did you find it as someone that freelanced, going from freelance into working at Otter? But I suppose there wasn't really a clear... For me, it was like a dream, really. Yeah. Because it was like all of my weaknesses were completely solved by working with Ben. Mm. It was like... I don't really have to be client facing that much or when I do, I don't mind it. But majority of the time, Ben handles all of the client kind of liaison stuff. Um, and then I just get to do what I like doing. Mm. You know, my strengths are his weaknesses. And um, yeah, it's really, it's a really interesting way of doing it. There was a few times that I had to go out to do like client meetings. There was once when I had to go out to a lady's house um, who <laughs> uh, she, I had to do like design work for her. I had to do like design for this pub out in the Cotswolds. And I went to her house and I remember sitting at a dining table and her um, daughter, who was like five, six years old or whatever, was like running around the place. And it was kind, kind of hectic having a meeting in someone's house, first of all. Mm, and then you yeah. got the little kid kind of running about going nuts. And then the next thing, the kid goes over to this like kind of uh, glass thing in the corner mm. and she pulls out a um, bearded dragon uh, oh lizard God. and I've like got a bit of a phobia of liz- uh, bearded dragons well just lizards <laughs> in general they kind of freak only me bearded out. dragons yeah. <laughs> they, they really freak me out and I remember this little girl and I was kind of sat like this talking to her and the little girl came over and just put this lizard on the end of oh, the table oh my God. and the fucking thing shit me up like I've never been more scared than that I remember just kind of sitting there looking like looking at it and you know like lizards eyes are everywhere Yeah, the thing was looking at me from all angles that's um, gross so yeah, luckily after that, I didn't go to any other client meetings. Ben went. To- <laughs> that, was, that was the day. Yeah. Ben, I was like, never again. I can't go to client meetings because they might have a lizard. Yeah, I mean, lizards—they're scary little things, aren't they? They are weird. They are little dinosaurs. What's the biggest lizard you've seen? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think here we go. In a client meeting, <laughs> yeah. though. In oh, a client no, meeting. I haven't seen any <laughs> in a client meeting. <laughs> I've seen a. What's the big one? Like Komodo dragon. Yeah. Where? In a zoo. Oh, right. Really? Some I... zoo. I can't remember where. Was it, like <laughs> Bristol Zoo or... Mate, I went to Thailand and there was one yeah. of those fat ones walking over like a street and they're just roaming about anywhere. Really? Yeah. They're, no, just, they're like wild. they're like really dangerous. There. Like we've got squirrels. Like squirrels freak me out as well. Like, I mean, squirrels are like a fluffy version of that, aren't they? 
They yeah. climb a tree. They've got crazy eyes. They've got long tails. Have you ever thought about that? That's gross. Mate, if you used to shave a squirrel, Ben... Ben, could you search squirrel shape, shaven squirrel? How have we gone from freelancing to... That's, that was such a quick squirrels. transition. I want to... Like, yeah, this is a lizard, oh. mate. Oh, my God. Oh. Uh, that For is those quite... of you listening, it's exactly what you think it would look like. It looks like... Um, look what's, at that technical what's the, squirrel. What's the rat in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? I'm so excited about the moment I shaved my squirrel. <laughs> wow. Squirrels are just wrong animals, mate. Feeling when you shave your area after a while. Wow. Nice. These squirrels are, are freaky. Good man. Facebook memes. I'm just hear Ben laughing. This is where we go. This okay. is where the podcast has to go. Into these dark from dark freelancing to shaving my squirrel. Yeah. Um so I would call that a wrap on that that little subject yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Um, if you like. like. <laughs> Let's talk about inspiration. I think we spoke about it briefly last week, Max, between yeah. you and I, but but almost like what keeps you inspired now? Well, like what inspired you back in the day to get into it? For me, it was definitely YouTube and and mainly Casey Neistat was like a big driver. I think like Ben, I kind of really wanted to get into vlogging. I wonder how many other people of our age wanted to get into vlogging, tried it, was absolutely shit, gave it up. <laughs> yeah, I, Joss? I think for me, um, I think the big, yeah, like you said in last week's episode, Max, one of the biggest inspirations for me is social media. And seeing what other creatives are doing and like seeing the sets they're working on, seeing stills from projects, um, you know, just, yeah, seeing the stuff that people are making and what they're doing and what they're getting up to. It's like, all right, I want to do that. I want to work towards that. I want to keep that in mind for our next project. Let's try and implement something different and cool and have a bit more of an edge and whatever. Mm. Um, but I think for me, when like growing up, a big inspiration was a guy called Bertie Gilbert who isn't that much older than me and you, Max. I think he's maybe 25 and he's like a filmmaker and he started out really young and he's working on some feature films at the minute and he was just someone that was kind of close enough age gap to me in a similar position that I kind of was like, that's really cool what you're doing. Mm. Um, he's the guy that I actually copied for my that A-level short film project as well. Um, he's going to come hunt you down for that He's going to come hunt yeah, you down. Yeah, they're going to definitely yeah. pull up your A-level. I know. You're going to get that. I'm what get what result did you get? Did you get a result? I got a C because I I flunked the exam. Wow. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I can't remember where I was going. Sorry about that. Uh, I I know. I think my inspirations have mainly always been from films, though. And, I mean, Casey Neistat, I think, was a massive inspiration for anyone. Just Mm. his, like, work ethic alone is just nuts. And he came around in, what, like, 2016? 2015, 2016? So he was around that age for me, anyway, where I was going to figuring out what I wanted to do, going from GCSEs to A-levels and, like, you know, here comes this guy with an insane work ethic, telling stories every day relentlessly. It's like, that's pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty cool that you're just picking up a camera every day and just making shit. Like, it's it is a proper skill to be able to do that. Um, Was Lo- did yeah. you ever did you ever watch Logan Paul when you were growing up? I didn't. No, no. He. I mean, he came from Vine, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, back in the Vine days, he was like, he was just. In the world, in the world of sort of TikTok now, he's someone that would be all over your for you page. Like he's just mm. like you just see him all the time because his his stuff would just blow up. Um, but I never really liked his vlogs, mm. so it's like they were they were always very like they were they were always aimed at a younger demographic. I thought, which is yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, and I think I quite early on accepted like okay, his, his stuff's not for me. Yeah. Um, but to be fair, like after the whole. Uh, 
after the Japan. whole Japan thing, mm. I did go and watch a few of them, and they weren't actually that bad. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's on the same level as Casey Neistat. Was like, yeah, I feel like Casey Neistat. Like you watch one of his things, or you watch like a, a load of his videos, and you think, okay, he's trying to tell a story. He, you can tell that he's a filmmaker first and a YouTuber second. Yeah. Whereas Logan Paul is like, how many videos can I make in one month so that I can maximize my ad revenue and make a load of money? Exactly. I think that was the amazing draw of Casey. It's like, okay, yeah, he's doing a daily vlog, but every video had a purpose and mm. a story and a message. And like that alone, just think of what that one thing to tell every day is like, how do you do that? Yeah, it's so hard cool. Thing to do. It's a really hard thing to do. We struggled with it with weekly videos, let alone daily. Yeah. To shoot and edit every day a 10, 20 minute vlog. Yeah. And to have the energy to film 10 minutes of vlog content, mm. essentially like by yourself, maybe with one or two other people in the scene, like that's insane. Yeah. Like, I could not do that. No way. Yeah. Crazy. 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 What about you? Was there, Casey was a big one for you. Was there anyone else or, especially in like design, I guess that's uh, a big part of you. It was, it was purely YouTube. I remember watching yeah. Ben Brown. He was like a kind yeah. of like, oh my God. Yeah. I forgot about Ben back Brown. In the day. Ben Brown. Fun for Louis. Yeah, uh, he's cool. And Casey, yeah, they're kind of the creatives that I watch. Remember Sam Pepper? Do you ever catch him anymore on TikTok? I saw a clip of him on TikTok the other Guy's day. Yeah, gone downhill big time, right? He, uh, he's, he was uh, always questionable, though, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> what uh, YouTube channels and stuff are you into at the moment? That's a good question. Um, Max, you go first. <laughs> What's the uh, I know podcast? Sp- you you boys watch quite a lot of podcasts. Yeah, yeah it's not my, the stuff that I watch isn't really film related. Um, more comedy stuff but video video people that i watch on youtube um ben Chaish, as a, from a photography standpoint and to be fair all these all these people are like they might be photographers that make youtube videos but the youtube videos that they make are really really well thought out and really good like from a filmmaking standpoint as well so like ben Chaish, um valandis danny gavertz i've spoken about him numerous times on this podcast like he's the goat um Eric Floberg, he's good. Yeah, he's really good. His stuff is awesome. It's cool. Um, there's loads. There's loads of people, and I feel like once you go down that rabbit hole, like everyone's kind of mates with everyone in that space. So I feel like you'll you'll find one person, and then chances are they hang out with mm. someone else. And like Samuel Elkins is another one that I took massive inspiration from. Yeah. In the last like three years, his his work is just like if I could shoot like anyone, it would be either Danny Gavertz. Samuel Elkins, like a blend of those two, just mm. oh, brilliant. I think for me, well, the two, the two biggest channels that I've like discovered in the last couple of years have been Corridor Crew, which I've banged out a lot on to you boys, and they're like a VFX company, um, but they have podcasts and loads of videos where they do loads of cool stuff with VFX and just filmmaking in general. And I feel like I've learned a shit ton about storytelling and everything just from them because they're like just a group of guys in LA who have just you know, they're kind of OGs on YouTube, been around a long time, but they, yeah, they're just amazing storytellers. Um, and then there's a guy called In-Depth Cine. I don't know his actual name. I don't think he's ever publicly said it, but he's basically a guy who's in the film industry. And I think he's a camera op or a DOP. And he just does these really, really interesting videos about like cinema lenses and why directors do certain things, just like massive breakdowns on like, yeah, really cool film topics. Nice. Yeah. What about you? Uh, Creative-wise, I'm not. I don't really watch too much, but I don't feel like I don't. I don't watch as much as I did used to. Uh, at the moment, I'm in a really weird hole of watching stuff on on YouTube. I've been watching a guy uh, called uh, 
Micah, Mikey the Biker Mikey. Have you ever heard of him? <laughs> no. He's a cyclist. He's, he stands at, it's called Gandalf Corner. It's in London, right? And um, there's like a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> going well off top, topic again. It's all good. Uh, so there's a, there's a, a, a road in London that you go down straight and then you can turn right into a side road, but there's an island right before that turning. But what a lot of people do is they come down in the other person's lane. So they're going towards onward traffic. So they go around the other side of the island, then they turn right. But Cyclone Mikey, he's about 60, 70 years old. You should Google him. He, um, he waits behind a hedge. And just as someone's about to come out, like down the outward lane, he jumps out in front of them and then he puts his hand out and he says, <laughs> he basically says like, you're not pass. Um, and people stand off with him. Mate, one of his videos has got 4.2 million views. What? So he stood off to like... Um, so this is the corner. You can see there the islands. There's an island in the road. Right. People come down here. Cycling Mikey just stands in the middle of the road and says, you will not pass. He's a South African dude. Um, yeah. You should, if you're listening to this, you should, look, he runs out into the middle of the road. Uh, tells him to go back. And then he has a massive standoff with people. He's done it to all sorts of people. People oh. tried running him over. Oh, my God. He's done that. He's also quite infamous for going down stationary traffic in London. And he's called Guy Ritchie on his mobile phone. Guy Ritchie lo- lost his license because of Cycling Mikey. Really? Yeah. Cycling Mikey got... Oh, my God. He got Guy Ritchie six points and, like, a £1,000 fine. He's also done Chris Eubank. He's caught Chris Eubank no and way. Frank Lampard. Oh, my God. What a guy? Look, the guy got ran over. Like, he's getting... He's taking hits for... He's not even doing it for the content. He's doing it because basically all of his friends are cyclists and they all train within this area. Yeah. And they were getting hit by cars doing this. Because, like, if you were to come out of this road, you only look right because that's where... The, or you only look left right because that's where the traffic's coming from. Yeah. You don't look left. If you don't look left, you're going to get hit because people are breaking the law. Oh, my God. That is insane. Cycling Mikey, yeah. Definitely oh check it out Man in your own people. time. Mate, that guy Mate. should keep... Look, he gets out, like... Oh, my God. Cycling Mikey's been hit by people. He's such a legend. That's horrible. I hate stuff like that, though. Like, I don't know what it is, but I can't help but watch these videos, and and it, I'm fine with them. But it makes Hannah really uncomfortable because I think she hates like public, you know, altercations and stuff. Yeah. I think what it is, yeah, I just it annoys it annoys me, fascinates me, and it almost angers me seeing other people that angry over something. It's like yeah. that guy could have so just reversed and gone back into his lane. There's a video. He stood his ground and got so angry. There's a video and it's like the longest standoff, and this lady is arguing for 13 minutes, and she leaves her car on the island and walks away. And she like just walks off. And, and then she calls the police and she's having to go to the police. This guy's blocking my car. And they're like, yeah, you're in the wrong lane. You need to reverse. And she's like, I will not reverse. And she's going mental at them. And and cycling Mikey's like, just being a legend, just like your ego is getting the better of you right now. Just oh, yeah, reverse. Well, like you've broken the law, reverse and carry on with your day. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Would recommend. <laughs> uh, That's fascinating. Yeah. And then the other, <laughs> and then I watch like other just shit like that. Basically, there's a guy called DJ, DJ audits. Who, this is really quite bad, but um, he's got a drone. I mean, it's not breaking the law, but he's got a drone that's under 250 grams and he takes off from public land and he, he overflights police stations, prisons, and then obviously the police come out, have a go at him, but because he's on public land and it's you're allowed to film in public, he can kind of get away with all of it. I look at it as like a... I like to see how the police interact with him and how like he handles those situations, but I mean... On the flip to that, it's like he is wasting police time by being a bit of an annoyance. So it's a bit of a... He is, but it's almost like I, you do get where he's coming from, don't you? It's mm. like he but doesn't break any laws. He's not, but he also like... I mean, he does it because he's doing it for the views. Yeah, like, okay. he, so he, he knows, gets dodgy. If he gets a, like a Karen police officer to come out and have a go at him, 
people love seeing that. Is yeah. it him going out looking for a looking for a not fight, but like he's looking to yeah, he's asking be a pain for in the trouble, ass. yeah. Um yeah. which got me onto a thought, Joss, about um if there's anything that's completely random like that that you think about. So like at home sometimes my dishwasher doesn't wash stuff very well, so I have to put two tablets in. Anything in life like that, Joss? <laughs> um Wasn't oh, this mate, that's, a, that's such a wide <laughs> question. Is it good? Ben says to buy a dishwasher cleaner from Lidl. What yeah, sometimes the glasses don't come out too clean, so I've had that's to throw annoying. in two tablets every time, which I means I'm wasting tablets You're going through these twice quick. Yeah. Um, Sorry about that. Just a little bit I of a side know. topic that we I, can I talk about. I don't about. even know, mate. You sprung that on me yeah. rapidly. I haven't got anything, mate. No. I got what anything. shower gel are you using I'm at the moment? Boring. I just use the one that's in the gym. Oh, yeah? Wow. Bougie. Yeah. Nothing fancy. Doesn't even shower at home anymore. I wow. Don't. Well, when I wow. when I shower at home, I use Radox. There you go, two two in one. Oh God, grow up, bulldog, bulldog man. Right, what do you use? Um, just just I don't use that type of shower gel, Josh. What are you using? Josh. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. Josh. Well, it's been in me two and a half years. I use um, Audi's version of Radox. There you go. Then. Nice, yeah. nice, nice, nice. Come on. How does creativity flow into your everyday life? Um, I think it's just the it's just the person I am, Max. Really? I am just a creative person through and through. I can't help it. It's who I am. I often find that I I feel like this would be good actually, good transition into how we work as a three in mm. film. Go for it. But I feel like I'm very um, technical. I love technology. I love, well, to be fair, we all do. But I feel like I'm very, I was always interested in the kit and the like, camera gear and, and what other people were buying and how it's affecting their work and and you know how they get certain looks by using certain pieces of technology so like, i always found that working as a freelancer you'd be working all day on an edit or on a shoot or something like that and then i'd go home and i'd go on youtube and then all my youtube subscriptions is just full of like camera reviewers mm-hmm. and cinematography people that are talking about camera kit excuse me and then i just end up like coming home from work at six o'clock going on YouTube to watch some YouTube videos and then watching cinematography films or cinematography mm. breakdowns or kit reviews and stuff like that. And without even realizing my own social time or my time outside of work becomes revision for the next day. Yeah. Or revision for future projects. Sure. So end up, you end up kind of being so engrossed in it. Mm. I just wonder if that was the same for anyone else or if I'm just a bit of a nerd. <laughs> um, I guess in a similar way, I think... Like what I was saying about that channel I watched earlier, I think mine's. I definitely have had that technical phase. I feel like I got into it from from the start more from like a writing or like a story way. You were like your our in house DOP, not to jump mm. ahead in what we were going to say, but you know that is your role. You're very technical in that sense, whereas I would rather be in more of a on shoot a camera yeah. up or maybe assisting Dan with like the overarching look of the project rather than the technical because i i'm not as strong as a technical person as you are because you know much mm. more fine-tuned detail so i'd say for me it would be more looking at the uh how to actually handle the project as a whole mm. people maybe yeah what about you i don't know if it, even when it comes down to like what i watch like film wise on tv I'll, yeah without sounding like i don't know whether every other cliche filmmaker it's like i will always kind of choose to go down the route of watching a film that isn't mainstream but it's like a yeah. bit more indie or whatever like that like for example like the a24 stuff or like midsummer and bits like that like i really enjoy those kind of like 
weirdly made films that are a little bit different. I really love like Wes Anderson's work, which mm. I mean, his films are really arty, aren't they? And yeah. like made in a different way, but they're not necessarily really popular. Um, yeah. So Definitely. yeah, I think I'm more into well, that's my choice of films. Hence why I don't really, or I can't get involved too much with like the, the talk of Star Trek and Star Wars and <laughs> the Avengers and Christ. bits like that. <laughs> yeah. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't uh, that, that stuff doesn't excite me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's why I kind enough. of go down the more hipster indie route. Such a, such a, such a film such boy, a film man. Boy. I know. Taking that, so we are three film boys. Yeah. Working under the same roof, doing the same thing. Because you could argue that we do, we, all three of us do the same thing. So how do we work actually on shoots? You like that, bud? That was seamless, Max. Thank are you, you asking thank me? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Tell me, because I don't know. Is this like, a, <laughs> is this a spoiler? Spoiler alert. Um, we're about to leak all of the information about how we run our shoots. Uh, so exclusive. It runs out as a Ben will be the one who contacts the client, or the client t- contacts us, etc. I work with Ben on the pre-production storyboards, etc. Usually bring Joss in on board most of those. Moving forward, just bringing Joss in a lot more on those. Get to a shoot or kind of before the shoot, we'll work as a free kind of sit down in this exact room. Come on, looking at that exact TV, and we all discuss what the client wants and what the deliverables are and how we will achieve it. Mm-hmm. This is a storyboard. This is the ethos of the film. Let's go to the nice. shoot. Over to you. Uh, okay, so on shoot, Dan is usually director, kind of producer, making sure the client's happy. We're all on track. Max and I are happy as well. Um, yeah, and then Max and I are usually on cameras, mm-hmm. sound and all other bits like that. Mm-hmm. Um, over to you. So... I suppose prior to all, prior to us actually getting to set, rewind, rewind, reload the track. Dan and Josh will be on the pre-production stuff, and then usually, we'll, as as you said, we'll come into this room and have a sort of meeting about how things are going to go, or what the ex- expectations are, and what the film is about, what the story of the film is about. Because realistically, every, everything that we produce, even if it's a tiny little ten-second film, it has to have an a, an arc, story arc of some sort. Um, and then we'll all sit down and figure out how we make that. And then how I look at it is how how do I make that look nice? How do we work on camera to make that look good? Um, so then Joss and I usually go into the kit room and figure out what what exactly we need, what exactly we need to bring with us to achieve that. So that when we get to shoot, we have exactly what we need. We know exactly what uh, we need to get in order to execute on the brief that you've received from the client mm-hmm. um so then when we're on set usually um i will figure out sort of like a lighting setup or or you know the sort of environment what's going to look best um and then we'll rig all the cameras up and then you and i kind of just go don't we really yes we do we go we leave we go and we, we head off that's, that's everything else. <laughs> looking at that what's <laughs> some of the most important parts uh that play what's some of the most important things you need to do to get a smooth production time and communication with the client yeah. nice one yeah. one um manage expectations nice for me i think it's about a clear shot list and a clear mm. kind of i guess that runs expectations in yours too but purely understanding exactly what it is we need to shoot and how we need to shoot it and who's involved mm. and that comes down to a kind of like a well, wherever i create like a one pager that's got everyone's contact details on and a run of the day boom that is one thing, yeah. actually. If there are any freelancers watching this, make a call sheet. 
Yeah. That is huge. Like getting all the details down onto one page, getting the plan for the day onto one page will make your life so much easier. Like so, so, so much easier. There's been so many times where we rock up to shoots and say like, you've got a cool sheet and I haven't seen it. I'm like, oh, I, like what are we doing? And then literally within five minutes of looking at the cool sheet, I'm like, right, I know yeah. this whole day is like, I've got it. And it means that I can execute on my job better because I'm not thinking about that. Yeah, 100% echo that completely. It's such like a, a relief when we work as such a three-man efficient unit. We can, you know, you've had that inception call with the client, with Ben, for example. We know that you, you know, you already know the client to an extent. You already know exactly what they want. You feed that back to us. I know that then on a shoot, Max is in charge of lighting. He's, you know, nailing that. And then I'm just like setting up cameras, everything else. And then we can just fucking hit the ground running mm. nice. i think yeah. having having a team where everyone's got their own sort of yes we're all filmmakers and yes we're all camera guys but we all we each have our own sort of niches i feel like mm-hmm. and because we each have those niches it means that we can relieve when you're on a film set you have a lot of things going on all at once so when you're all working in your own different niches it means that you can take that pressure off the other person like for example i know that when there's a lot going on the last thing that i want to do is be around loads and loads of people like fl- like flustering around mm-hmm. so i know that like when we get to a shoot or something like that you're the one that that goes and and does the sort of you know the first meets and stuff like that whereas i'll go and build a rig or yeah. i'll go i'll go and i'll go and think about okay where's the sun like what what kind of lighting can we use what like i'll sort of take myself off and think like right how can we use this space mm-hmm. to build something and that's great because it means that i don't have to worry about the sound or things like that, or, yeah. or, or other aspects of, of the film making process. Even though I can do them, I don't have to worry about them. I can just worry about my niche and what I'm really good at. Accountability. That's yeah. one of the most important things, isn't it, really? Yeah. We're all accountable to each other. We've mm. all got our tasks that we know we need to complete. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Any other points that you would like to bring up <laughs> here on this podcast today, Joss? Uh, I don't think so, boss. Is there anything else that you wanted to bring up? No. Why is it so hard to talk about stuff that we do every single day? I feel like I yeah, know. I feel like we haven't hit everything we wanted to hit, but I don't know what we haven't hit. I don't know. Ben, any constructive ben? feedback? Try being yourself better, more vulnerable. Okay, let's be more vulnerable. I think. Well, typing is so hard. Too flat. Um, vulnerable in what way? Do you know any points, Ben? Imposter syndrome. Give us, give us a, can you make a note of this timestamp as well? I'll cut this. Yeah, okay. Should I talk about me flapping on set? Because I don't really want to put off any potential clients that might be listening to it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, on Dan's head bit. Let's go. Go for it. Yeah, I can do. Should I into? Should there be like a clean cut or a clap? Nice, <laughs> 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 Um, yeah, like having having the. So when it comes to a shoot, Max, uh, when it comes to a shoot, mm. I'm always the person who's usually the one. Always, usually the wow. That's a lot of words. Always and usually. Yes. Wow. <laughs> when we get to a shoot, I'm usually the one who goes and chats to the clients, etc., etc. But there has been times when you've had to do that or there's been times when the client's kind of overwhelmed you yeah. unnecessarily 
if I've not been able to get to it, how do you handle... Shield me. Yeah. <laughs> how do you handle being under pressure, but also not flustering too much on a shoot? And have you actually flustered on a shoot? And you probably shouldn't have. I, um, I definitely have. I definitely have. And it's still something that I'm trying to get better at. I... I'm a very linear person. I think about things like one at a time. I can't handle, you know, loads and loads and loads of things going on at once. Um, a massive thing for me is like big crowds. So if we're in, for example, we were in, um, was it Trafalgar Square? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, we were in Trafalgar Square doing a shoot and there were loads of people. And like, I'm very meticulous about our setups and our shots because I want everything to be perfect because, you know, I worked hard to learn my craft so that I know when I get to a set, I can make it look good. So then if external factors come in that I can't control, I find that really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing, going back to what you said about sort of when a client's come in and sort of like uh, sort of over my shoulder kind of thing or like is getting very, very involved, I find that very difficult as well because it's like I'm trying to focus on uh, making the shot look as good as possible or making the film look as good as possible. That doing that, and then worrying about the location and then worrying about the lighting and worrying about the sound and then worrying about someone over here chatting to me while I'm doing that. My brain just can't compute all of it. Um, it's gotten better the more I've done it. And I think starting my own business and, and, and working freelance and, and, and forcing myself into situations where you have to talk to people and you have to be able to navigate those spaces really helped me because it, it, it sort of baptism by fire, it threw me in the deep end and I, there was no option to just you just had to do it. Um, but I feel like I operate a lot better and the content I produce is a lot better when I'm taken out of that situation. So having you guys there focusing on, on your aspects, you know, whether it's, whether it's building a setup or figuring out the camera situation or entertaining the client or figuring out the, the story for the film, that then takes that pressure off me. And in my head means like all I have to do as DP is figure out what are we going to shoot on and how am I going to make it look good from a lighting perspective? Mm-hmm. That means then I can throw 100% of my energy into that and know that the rest of it is being taken care of in this moment. Yeah. So then when we get back into the edit, whoever's editing it has got A1 footage to work from. Yeah. Mm. So take us back to Trafalgar Square yeah. and in a concise way, tell me the story behind you getting <laughs> flustered there and how you controlled um, your feelings. In a previous life, I wouldn't have been able to control it. I would have had, I would have just not thrown my toys out of the pram, but I would have just like, I would have been flustered and I probably would have missed the shot. Yeah. And I probably would have, you know, either walked into a different bit and be like, oh, this, this isn't working. Let's go somewhere else. Uh-huh. And then just completely lost Trafalgar Square. Um, but in this situation, I was trying to line up a shot. I'd been waiting for a little bit. I'd, we were waiting for, it was very temperamental, temperamental, temperamental weather mm-hmm. the sun was coming in and out so it made it really hard to expose for and get all the cameras set up and the lighting situation set up uh, and we had like a 30 second window where the sun was coming out before a cloud came in and we set up the shot and everything was perfect and then we get tourists just start walking in front of the camera we get people in the background walking over people with iphones just trying to take pictures and stuff like that and my brain was like to sound like a a film boy you're ruining my shot yeah like all this stuff just everyone just disappear yeah so that i the most important person in this trafalgar square can get <laughs> my shot and then you can all come back um but obviously life doesn't work like that and luckily dan was there on set um and i feel like you and i like 
I feel like you can see when I'm getting frustrated. Yeah, I've learned like that. Yeah, yeah. you can see, but you can see it in my face. Um, And I've learned to condense my my emotion to just my face Mm -hmm. rather than being like, "Oh fuck's sake, stop working." Yeah. Um, And you're really good. You you know, you you help to maneuver, (laughs) help to maneuver people. You're like my guide dog. Yeah, you like help to maneuver people out the way and be like, "Oh, we're just gonna get because you're a lot more, a lot calmer than I am." Yeah, especially when I'm in that state. Um, it doesn't happen a lot. I just want to preface that it doesn't happen. Don't a worry, lot. clients. It Don't doesn't worry, happen clients. a lot. Um, and at the end of the day, it just means that you get a good film. Well, you it. care about it. That's that's the point of it. All. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it first of all you care about the shot enough that you actually really get annoyed about it if something yeah. doesn't happen, and then also just secondly reiterating the point of like everyone's everyone's job role there is as important. And yeah, like, for me to be able to go over to that person, clear them off, for you to get the shot meant that we can get the job done. Yeah, and it meant that coming and, and just having that that extra person doing that role meant that you know it's very easy in that moment to think, oh, it'll be fine. Like in yeah. post, I'll find something, or oh, I'll I'll make it work in post. Mm. But then you get to the post production a few days later, and you think, fuck, I haven't got anything to go in that space, or I haven't got anything that's long enough, or mm-hmm. nothing works. So the fact that we had the 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 methods and the workings to figure that situation out and and still get the shot meant that a client film was saved. Exactly that. That so sounds like a client film was saved. Was saved. Wow. But yeah. Wow. What about you, Josh? Off the top of your head, Josh, do you have any? What was the question again? Uh, we were talking about vulnerabilities. Oh. I mean, where should... do I start? Yeah. Lots of them. Wow. <laughs> yeah, lots and lots of them. Um, I think the biggest one for me that we've discussed before is just like straight up imposter syndrome in every way. Just forever anxious and doubting myself and my ability, which is probably why I never freelanced like you boys did. Um, you know, I never properly gave that a go because I just never believed in myself and my craft and what I was doing. And yeah, that's definitely still a, ver- a very strong and apparent thing today um you know even recently as we've kind of figured out our roles it's kind of led me to think like okay so what do i actually want to do what am i actually good at and then as soon as you think what am i actually good at it's just a downward spiral Mm -hmm. and actually to be very open and honest with you boys i had a very shit weekend like a few probably like a month ago where i was just in that headspace all weekend like this is just fucking shit i don't know what i want to do what Mm -hmm. am i doing what am I doing right now? You know what it's like yeah, being in that headspace. It's just super hard to get out of it. Um, and then on the Monday morning was actually the Monday morning that I got that email from X person that I worked with a few weeks back. And then all that yeah, just yeah. went out of my head. Yeah. I was like, why am I doubting myself? I'm going to do this. Now I'm frolicking through fields. I'm the god. I'm the fucking guy. Um, but no, it's it's a very real feeling. And I think it's... You know, I don't know how to deal with that. I still don't know. It's still something I'm figuring out, like finding out what I'm good at and, you know, getting into that headspace of like, what am I doing? It's like, you know, I'm still learning. I'm just brain dumping right now. I don't even know. I think it's all relative. It's so hard. It's all relative, isn't it? Because I, I think like, even though I did freelance and have worked for numerous companies and all that stuff doing media, in my head, I think, oh, but there's... There's 21 year olds or 20 whatever year olds that have won awards. Why haven't I won awards? Yeah, I'm yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. That's why. Like I turn up to a big client, even though I've done shoots with previous big clients, 
and because we're shooting in some swanky sweet hotel that costs x thousand pounds i think fuck how do i like this room i don't know like i'm not qualified to like this room i don't know how the yeah. fuck i do that and it's like yes you do you've watched you know i've let hundreds of rooms i know what to do but just because as soon as your head goes as you're yeah. saying like yeah, yeah. as soon as your head goes all reason all logic just goes out the window yeah completely yeah you're only ever as good as the last job is that the right is that the right stat is that the right thing that's probably the worst thing to say if you like <laughs> which is why i cry about every single shot that's to be perfect ben's got his yeah. head his hands uh, what i mean sorry what i mean by that is like uh wow well, how do you dig out of this um no I, I think it's very true just what you say i mean I, i've suffered with that massively as well and i think for me it's like from a a boss or a manager or a director point of view it's like i need to make sure that the decisions i make is like in my head i'm always like fuck is this decision that i'm about to make is that going to upset someone and like mm. we had a capture i caught up with like both of you guys and miles yesterday because i needed a bit of a reality check in my head i was like First of all, am I being too soft? Like, because I know as a person that I am generally quite, you know, I probably I'm not direct enough, and I'm and I think it's one of the points you said you need to mm. be a bit more kind of assertive in your way, and I, and and that's something that I know in my head. I'm like, oh, I'm just fanny about with my words a bit too much. Probably don't get them out, and I actually never get a job done. And like six weeks time, I've got nowhere because I wasn't more direct six weeks mm. ago. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and actually, when we look at like the job roles that we've all all got on set now, that was like a Geez, before that, the build-up to that was like Ben and I were sitting down, like, okay, well, how do we like move people into what they do? You know, everyone's on a journey. We want to like make sure that you guys are progressing in your job roles as much as possible. Mm. And it's like we know Max has got the technical stuff, but then you've got like the client-facing stuff. Mm. So it's like you know balancing who can do what and who should do what. Um, yeah. And I think now that we're actually all in a really good space when it comes to shoots like that. Um, yeah. I, I like to think so. Yeah, um, definitely. And it's hopefully, definitely for the future of all of us as well, it's going to progress you and it's going to progress you. So it's like, yeah, as a as a manager, before something like that, I'm like, shit myself. Like, fuck, I hope I don't like upset Joss. I hope it, Max isn't like too annoyed about something. But I think it's, it's a testament. Risk, isn't it? I think it's a testament, testament to the company really to, because mm. I feel like there's a lot of businesses that wouldn't see that potential in their employees or see that potential in their teams and then want to harness that and develop that. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's loads of like corporate companies that say that they do that or say that they want to do that, but they don't actually put stuff in place to really execute on that. Yeah. And I feel like absolutely. we have been, you know, you guys have obviously seen where we excel and have sort of pulled that out and gone, right, okay, go and do that really well and build that as much as you can. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's like, I know a few months back, I was like, oh, I really want to do a lot more like DOPing and lighting shit. And, then we did it on a shoot and I was like, I don't know if this is really me. And then we had a catch up, me, you and Ben, and you were like, we think you should go into more of a director, assistant director. And I was like, yeah, I've been thinking the same thing. And it's like you boys, obviously being an outside perspective of me and like saying, no, this is actually what you're good at. You're good at like the client shit and like the planning and whatever, rather than the technical. And it's like, yeah, that's right. And it is a testament to you boys because there are so many companies that will be like, we want to push you and make you do the best you can do, but they won't do jack shit to get you yeah. there. It's, it's also really hard to kind of accept accept that. I, I yeah. imagine it was for you, like, if, you know, in your head, you're like, I want to be a DOP. And mm-hmm. then you kind of get told, Med and I tell you, okay, we don't think DOP is right for you. We think this is more right for you. But that's like two people's, we both thought the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of nice that you were along the same lines as, us, you know, in yeah. that way as well. It was it, really interesting as well. Sorry, before you no, jump no, in, I did the same thing. 
Mm. I was like, I want to be the client guy. Yeah. I'm, you know, I've, I'm used to account management. I've done it. Before. I've been doing it for a few years. Like I, I feel like I've got the hang of it. And now like after X amount of months thinking, Oh, what do I really want to do? Oh, I want to do account management. I want to be the go-to guy. I'm like, so why are you getting flustered in Trafalgar Square then? Because there's people in the shop. You're actually not that good with people, Max. <laughs> Shock horror. You're better at just fucking about with cameras. So go and do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so no, it's just interesting that you said that because I was literally yeah. the polar opposite. Like, I thought, oh no, I, I want to go and do this. When actually, Mad. since doing it more, I'm like, actually, no, I'm shit at that. Yeah. Not, the, not the... No, 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 I get what you're saying. Yeah. Anyway. I, uh, think, I feel like, yeah, that's, that's always what I preferred. Come along. <laughs> um, just like having, and I guess in a direct role like yourself, Dan, it's always being like, having knowledge of all these different areas but never being super technical in like just cameras mm. I'm not saying that you're just mm. cameras but i'm just cameras <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean like not being technical on this one thing it's yeah. like yeah you know you know get what i'm saying i don't know how to say it's it just well. ha- it's just harnessing that <laughs> seeing that spark yeah. and like developing that yeah and i think it's really it's really great that we've got all of these things aligned now so when we you know work together for however long we work together it's like we're only going to get better as a mm. as a unit as a trio and the, the next person we bring on board will fill the next role and you know as productions get bigger we are still really establishing what we do and it's like mm. it's really exciting i think because it's like mm. hopefully we'll be working on way bigger productions and we'll all get the real opportunity to like smash each role mm. even better um yes yeah, exciting going or looking back obviously a lot has changed even since i started here um, and I've only been here about eight, nine months now. Looking back at your guys' workflow and, and the content that you guys were producing at Otter, how do you see that it's changed since utilizing this sort of run and gun sort of style? Like, oh yeah, we've got to shoot. We rock up to shoot. We don't really know whose role is what. We don't really have roles. We just we just rock up to a shoot and we shoot it. Versus the system that we have in place now. First of all, we got rid of Ben on production days. <laughs> Yeah, that was what, what yeah. a relief that was. He just weighed us down. Yeah. God, I just Constantly. got in the way. I mean, how many shots did he walk in front of? I know, I know. He hasn't been on a shoot in so long. He oh. came on one last week and he must have walked into shot at least five <laughs> times. And even he acknowledged the fact that he was walking in front of shots. Oh, I'm glad he doesn't have a microphone right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, prior to that though, man, it's like when it was just Joss and I on shoot, it would be me, Joss and Ben on shoots. We both kind of rock up. I guess I can't take the director on. I was asking the questions and stuff, but we'd still both be on camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'd be on like a C200 and a C100. So there's been a big advancement in our kit. Like we've, a relic. we've got rid of those two and we're now, we've, and it's, it's so nice to use two cameras that are the exact same. We're always using Sigma mm. lenses now, which is also mm. the glass is the same. So it looks really good. That's one thing that's been a massive improvement, I think, using yeah. kit. Um, yeah. And then just production wise, it just feels a lot smoother. But, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, it's almost like you can't even compare no. what it was like because I think we're just so efficient in the way we work now. It's like, right, Dan's having the call. Dan knows where we're at. Brief it to us. On shoot. Yeah. Boom. You're doing the edit. Cool. Nice. One day I might not join that call. Just leave it. See cool. how it goes. Leave it to Ben. Yeah. I'll just insta panic. Yeah. Like, I'll just be like, oh, flap, 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 flap. <laughs> Where's Dan? Dan, take the people away. <laughs> nice. Nice. I thought like this has been a good therapy session. There we go. Have you got anything else I'm you interested want to... to listen back to this podcast? Yeah, same. <laughs> a bit worried. Uh, ben? Any more to add, Benjamin? Thumbs up. 
He said, "Thumbs up, seven up." Cool. Do you want to clap to? Do you know at this point, or should we just outro it now? Let's just outro, baby. Go on then, Joss. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Otter Culture Podcast. Actually, do us a favor: hit follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this. New episodes Mondays, every other Monday, bi-weekly. Bi-weekly. Yes. Also, if you're listening on Spotify, make sure you review five stars. That's something I picked up from certain podcasts recently. And I went on Spotify and I reviewed five stars because I like the sound of my own voice. Nice. (laughs) Have a great (laughs) have great weeks. Bless you. Cheers then.